0: Welcome to the Marcus Warren Show, powered by 960 Digital and the Wealth Empowerment Network. Now, here is your host, Marcus Warren.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the number one retirement and tax planning show in the region, the Marcus Warren Show. I am your host, financial advisor, tax and loan agent, and author of the Retirement and Tax Playbooks, Marcus Warren, and I hope everyone is doing well on this Sunday and to my left, I am joined by our resident tax professional, D. How you doing, D? Hello and happy Sunday! And remember that if you miss any parts of the show and you want to catch up on anything you missed, all you have to do is subscribe to the Marcus Warren Show podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Also, throughout the show, we will be offering our retirement rescue game plan which is a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risk that threaten your nest egg once you are close and in retirement. Now, in that game plan, you'll get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled Taxes in Retirement. Now, you may be wondering, how can I get my hands on that? Well, all you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net. That's warrenwealth.net. You go to that site, Put in your information, and that retirement rescue game plan will be delivered free of charge to your front door. Once again, that's WarrenWealth.net. All right. So on to the show. So end of January, going into February, and um, you know it's uh, it's been a, a cold, dreary, uh, gloomy. Uh, month of January uh, I thought we were going to be able to uh um dodge winter mm. because December was so mild and nice That's and nice. January came back with a vengeance and uh it has not let up and we shall see what February has in store for us hopefully we don't have you know the uh snow squall or the winter weather advisories that that, that we've had uh for January but uh I'm hopeful um, I guess we'll see uh, On Groundhog Day too Didn't you, know? you say
2: Somebody told you It snowed in Florida too
1: Yeah there was some ice Or something in, in Florida Man, I'm not what sure what on? part I know It, it probably wasn't Miami oh, yeah. Because it's just Too nice True. southern down there mm-hmm. But I'm sure Probably Panhandle uh,
2: okay.
1: Area something like that Anyway Let's get into Some Money Matters Here comes the money Here we go uh-huh. Money talk,
2: talk Here comes the money Money, money, money Money, 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 money,
1: money. dollar Dollar, dollar <laughs> All right, so um, we've had a roller coaster ride of markets uh, this last week. Uh, the market uh, violently swung up and violently swung down, violently swung back up, down, up, and uh, it shook a lot of investors. Um, and I call sp- and really speculators, and you know, it, it's it's funny because. You know when um I guess Monday uh, was uh, the first day of it where the market like was down eleven hundred points um, the Dow Jones was down eleven hundred points uh midday and um, I was uh, headed to the the TV station to to make an appearance and then uh, I spoke with um, uh, one of the uh, main guys out there and he was talking about um, one of his sales guys who's in his thirties who basically saw that the market was down, saw that he had lost um, a little bit of money and sold. No. And sold. And, and it's funny because obviously by the end of that day, oh, no. the market ended up. Oh, no. um, and, you know, what? When, when I think about it, it's like this. It's, um, well, for, you know, first of all, when, when you think of the wild week that it was, it wasn't just Monday. This happened mm-hmm. pretty much all week where market started off really low but ended up ahead or broke even. Or the market started off super high, and then basically ended, you know, fairly flat um, or a little bit down. But for the week, um, the S and P 500 was up, the Dow Jones was up, um, and then that basically broke a three-week downturn. Uh, The Nasdaq, which is mostly tech stocks, that was up for this week, which basically broke a four-week downturn. And really, what's interesting is the fact that you know the guy who sold out or at least so a good portion of his his investments he, he thought this was the one um he was in his 30s mm-hmm. and when i think about it um you know we've have had an up market the market has been up for a good 12 to 13 years yeah and a lot of these um really younger investors and even you know most uh really most investors who end up you know having uh amnesia uh, once, you know, the markets are up for a significant period of time. Cause you know, they, they, you know, the market was down significantly during the great recession, 2008, all the way through 2009. And, um, you know, people were like, you know, wanted to go to safer investments, didn't want to lose any money. Um, and we're like, you know, they're never going to forget this, mm-hmm. but lo and behold, mm-hmm. five, six, seven years into, uh, this, that bull market that we're currently still in, by the way, um, you know, people tend to get amnesia and forget and start to jump into the market and take on this risk. And this 30-something guy, he, you know, he's probably, you know, has only been in, invested during the ups. He's never, and a lot of millennials and things of that nature have probably never experienced, and they haven't experienced, a huge downturn. And obviously, got a little taste of that and panicked. <laughs> and so what I want to do is I want to take the time to talk about, how do you navigate these turbulent times, right? Because just like I said, for the month of January, um, you know, the market was down. Uh, like I said, it broke a three-week uh, downturn. and The NASDAQ broke a four-week downturn. So, you know, we are headed into correction territory. So let's do this. Um, and, and when, you know, when you think about it, investments, um, and I saw this and, and I agreed with it, that investments, um, it isn't the investments that get tested during turbulent markets. Mm-hmm. It's the investors, You know, the market is going to do, like I always say, the market is going to do what the market always does, but it's what you do in response that's going to determine if you come out ahead longer term. And um, one of the things that people can do and focus on when the market is being volatile uh, like it has been this year is one: you need to tune out the noise and gain a long-term perspective. The media, look, the media focuses on short term movements, Um, you know, individual investors. You need to tune out the continual efforts by those pundits, uh, commentators, strategists that are on CNBC, Fox Business, on social media, on the Wall Street Journal, that all they're trying to do is extrapolate these short term market swings, uh, whether it's up or it's down, and then make a prediction of what's going to happen next, um, you need to focus on the long term and make sure that you have a plan. And a lot of times, and what I've seen most of the time, is people don't have a plan. you just kind of, you're just buy in and, and you have a bunch of stuff that you either, uh, you don't know what you have or you really don't even really truly understand how you're actually allocated and how much risk you have in the portfolio. Because the one thing I found out is that people really tend to be a lot more risky when the market is up. That's when everybody wants to err on the side that, hey, let's uh, put some money in the market. Let's, let's go ahead and, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to put a little more money in there because that, uh, that greed kicks in, which brings me to my next point on how you can mitigate and navigate these volatile waters is you can't let emotions get in the way. And one of those emotions is greed. And when the market is up, that greed kicks in and people tend to get a little more risky and take on more risk. And now, when there is a ripple in the market, that's when that fear kicks in, which is the other emotion that drives the market. And those emotions, fear and greed, what does it do, D? It causes people to do the wrong thing at the
2: wrong time,
1: and they do it all the time. They're supposed to buy buy low and sell high, but when fear and greed kicks in, they get into this perpetual cycle of doing the opposite. They tend to buy high and then they sell low. Right now, the one thing I know that no one was doing because I got no calls or, um, you know, my calls were not returned is when the market was dipping the last three or so weeks, people who had cash on the sidelines, they uh, were nervous. They didn't want to get in, even though, you know, the market had been down for three straight weeks, four straight weeks. If we're talking about the NASDAQ, no one wants to get in then. What do they generally want to do? They want to wait until the market goes up, which is basically saying, hey, I don't want to buy things while they're on sale. I'm just going to wait until things are high and then I'll jump in. And then, by the way, when things are low, I'm going to question all of my, all the things that I bought and I'm probably going to want to sell. That's not what you need to do. Don't let emotions get in the way. How can you cope with some of the volatility? Another thing you can do is you can dollar cost average your way into the market. Now, this really doesn't apply to retirees because you're in that distribution phase. However, if you are still working, you are in that accumulation phase, you're still contributing to a 401k IRA company retirement plan. And if you're putting money in each pay period, when there is a lot of volatility, especially volatility towards the downside, that is a buying opportunity, right? Because you're supposed to buy low, And if you're systematically putting money in and consistently putting money, putting money in to your retirement accounts, investment accounts, company retirement plans, then when the market is low, you are buying up more shares right now, dollar cost averaging. It doesn't prevent losses, but it tends over the long term to even things out. And as long as you're consistent and continuing to buy on the dips, you're not going to uh, be subject to those wild swings and, um, You know, you're you're, like I said, you're not going to lose money over the long term um, or it doesn't prevent losses. But as long as you're continuing doing that, um, you shouldn't technically lose money over the long term. And then what else can you do? Well, the one thing you can't try to do is you cannot try to time the market. You can't try and think that. All right, here we go. This is it. The market has been volatile. Let me try to time it. Get out right before everything crashes. And so you sell out in January. And then because you think you're a genius, you're just going to try to wait until you know when you hit the bottom and then jump back in. That never works. It doesn't work. It's the ultimate fail. You can't do it. Why? Because you don't know. No one can do it. Matter of fact, if you miss out on the best 10 days of the market in any given year, Your returns basically get cut in half. There is data to prove that. Look it up. I'm not going to talk about it. Google it. Do some research. But you can't time the market. The saying is time in the market is way better than trying to time the market. You just can't do it. You may think you can do it. You may have been lucky a couple of times, or you know some folk tale about your neighbor, your brother-in-law, who was who got out, who knew exactly when to get out, and then they knew exactly when to get back in. But they're lying. That didn't happen. And if it did, they didn't tell you about all the times that they screwed it up. Trust me, I know. I see it all the time. I know the real deal. You know, I am educated in... Financial planning, educated in taxes. But I spend most of my time being a psychologist, which I don't have any formal education in that, but I've logged a lot of hours talking people off of the the, off of the ledge when things are down, talking them out of their euphoria or their irrational exuberance when things are up and they want to get into this Bitcoin thing. How do we do an NFT, Marcus? Dude, you're 75 years old. Relax. You don't need to be doing that. That's what I do. I'm your uh, financial psychologist, and I don't mind that title. I don't mind it. Matter of fact, uh, I might change the name of the show there, D. Okay. Finance, Marcus, the financial psychologist. Done. Sit down on the couch and let's talk. Anyway, I'm done. Coming up next, we are going to uh, dive into uh, a little more of Money Matters. You are listening to The Marcus Warren Show. All right. Good stuff right here. This is so 80s It sounds so 80s Is
2: it from the 80s?
1: Of course it is
2: mm-hmm.
1: This is um, This is Phil Collins And this is Yeah Studio. <laughs> Came out in 1985 um, Number one in the US Number 12 in the UK
2: Alright
1: Not bad at all I don't even know what Sissa Studio means, but um this was uh, one of those hits that I grew up on Bill Collins. I don't even know what Sissa Studio is. Anyway. <laughs> Good song. Welcome back to the show. The Marcus Warren Show. And so we left uh last segment talking about uh the market volatility and the way you can navigate it and how, uh, most people make the wrong decision at the wrong time. And they do it all the time. Um, and really, um, you know, the bottom line is if you are, um, glued to what the commentators are saying, or financial television, and you're just fixated on all of that stuff. And this year's, um, short-term turbulence, uh, uh, it really has already uh, told you something about yourself that you probably have too much in, in stocks because if you're so worried and you can't sleep at night, then you probably have too much risk in that portfolio. And uh, one of the things that uh, me and Dee were talking about is, you know, the best guide to how you will behave if the mar- if, if the market crashes again is basically how you acted in the last one. So whatever you did in 2008 – 2009, um, if you uh, panicked and reacted uh, a certain way and sold out, did whatever, if that happens this year or the next, then you'll probably act the same way and you probably may have too much risk in your portfolio. There you go. Anyway, speaking of um, stocks and performance, and um, uh, I mentioned that most people try to time the market and um, you really can't. Unless you're a member of Congress, um, because some members of Congress they have strangely good timing when it comes to stock investments, and
2: I am shocked right now. <laughs> I'm shocked.
1: And um, uh, do you 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 brought this up um, a couple of weeks ago in, in in one of your news you can use segments, and it reminded me um, of. There was a, a paper that was published uh, a few years ago because so this is you know this isn't new by the way what you were talking about uh, a few years ago um, um, hold on let me bring it up it was an economist his name was Sir Can or something like that I'm probably okay. butchering his name mm-hmm. but he highlighted a suspicious pattern because um, members of Congress he, he he noticed they earned higher than average returns on their stock investments in the average individual investor.
2: Maybe they're just smarter than everybody else.
1: Sure. To me, there is
2: something
1: suspicious and scary about that. So um, basically, the, um, the report of the findings suggested that at least some Congress members were profiting off of their jobs. Wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Sho- I'm, I'm so shocked. Shocked. Anyway. I can't believe it.
1: Obviously, with inside knowledge about upcoming policy changes or economic developments, the members, they could easily buy stocks shortly before they rose in price, or they could sell them right before they they fall in price. Um, and there have been some examples, um, and I want to go through some of these examples. And by the way, um, we're not being partisan. Uh, it's both sides of the aisle. Um, you know, all of them, all the members of Congress, uh, you know, they may be red and or blue, but they love the green. They love the green. Um, so Tom Price, who was a former Georgia, uh, congressman, and he used to be, um, Donald Trump's, uh, health, uh secretary of health and human services. He, re- he repeatedly traded a lot of healthcare stocks. Um, and he, uh, got a discounted purchase. There was special offer from some Australian drug company. Um, John Yarmouth, John Yarmouth is a Kentucky Democrat, hey, by the local. way. He bought several cannabis stocks while promoting bills, of course, favorable to the industry. Um, and then the list goes on. Diane Feinstein, uh, Kelly Loeffler, Richard Burr. Uh, they sold stocks. This is interesting. I mean, because most people kind of thought this anyway when the pandemic hit. They sold stocks after just receiving a private briefing
2: before,
1: on COVID-19, weeks before, after the discovery of the first case in China.
2: Just before the market crashed.
1: Yeah. Uh, David Perdue, um, Georgia hmm. Republican. Yeah. Uh, he was an active trader while he was in the Senate. He bought shares in companies that stood to benefit from the pandemic, Pfizer, mm-hmm. Netflix.
2: Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, he just knew somehow.
1: Good old Rand Paul, mm-hmm. his okay. wife.
2: Okay, listen. so it wasn't him. Okay, <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. That, <laughs> they bought
1: that, stock that makes, in uh, Gilead better. Sciences, mm-hmm. by the way, which makes a COVID antiviral drug, you know, in mm-hmm. the pandemic's early weeks. So mm-hmm. basically the 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 number that I saw that – Really, all members of Congress and their families, they basically bought and or sold about $600 million worth of, of stocks last year. Yeah. Um, yep. And so, of course, that creates you know a, a huge conflict of interest. In, and you mentioned it in your new uh, you segment a while ago that there's a, a bipartisan uh, effort mm-hmm. um, to try to put a stop to these trades. Yes. Uh, that the bills have been proposed that would require Congress uh, members to – Actually, you said not trade. Yeah, but I've I've read that they're they want to do a blind trust, whatever. I guess I mean it's still whatever that operate operated by somebody else. Independent. Like you can't
0: hmm. talk
1: to the person who gotcha. operates your blind trust. But anyway, um, and then of course the bill that you talked about basically said they would just bar members
2: right and or and their aides, and everybody
1: mm-hmm. from from buying and selling individual stocks. I took the position at the time. <clears throat> And I don't know if I'm off of that position. But I took the position of, uh, at the time of um, that. Um,
2: what Nancy Pelosi said. What Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm.
1: said, which, um, you know, she basically said that, um, um, well, one, we know that the bills probably won't become law just because there's a lack, who, there's a lack of support. Who
2: who has say in whether <laughs> the bills become law? Yeah, so, <laughs> the exact same yes. members of Congress we're speaking of.
1: Right. And if you have, you know, in that group is what, 20, 30 of them, there's, you know, right. at least 435 you know, yep. congressional guys, guys guys, and gals, and then 100. So if you have 20 to 30 who are trying to re- sponsor this bill, no one else is going to do it. Plus, you know, I, I did take Nancy Pelosi's um, view, you know, at the time that she just basically said that um, that Congress – they deserve the same freedom of everyone else to buy and sell stocks and that we're in a free market economy Mm -hmm. and they should be able to participate in that. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little conflicted because I'm, I'm, I I don't like the front running that it seems that, that that they're doing and we know that they're doing, but at the same time, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just interesting how, um, you know, well
2: that's a it, disingenuous statement because we have so many checks and balances on business to start. It's not a, we're not a truly free market economy. We can't you know we have antitrust laws, we have right. regulations on tech that are you know coming out right now, it's not like it's wide open free for everybody. So by proposing some regulations which Congress already passed the stock Act about 10 or so years ago, which basically says that members of Congress are well, supposed to report well, their stock transactions.
1: Let's talk about that because, you know, obviously, you know, you mentioned that it's a huge conflict of interest, which, of course, everyone feels that way. Everyone knows that um, because they are subject to sensitive information um, and people who enjoy that privilege to know, you know, what's, you know, popping off ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, You know, they should they should act as, as, you know, we do as fiduciaries. We have to put our clients' interest above our own and they should put the public trust interest above their own financial interest. But. Or they do not. Well, at least some of them don't. And you know, if they, and my thing is, Hey, if you want to not do that, then stay in the private sector, you know, just don't, yeah. don't run. Anyway. Um, you mentioned the, the stock act, mm-hmm. um, which was, I guess it's been a few years, almost 10, Ten, years, uh, yeah, yeah, 10, 10 years. years, right? mm-hmm. 10 years. Um, it, You know, it's one of those things where it's just, uh, it's not worth the paper that it's written on. Right. Because they're supposed to report when they do something like that within 45
2: days. Yes, and if they don't?
1: Most do not, mm-hmm. and if and, the, and most still don't. You want to know why? Because you know what the penalty is? If they don't report the first time, uh, uh, what does it say? First time standard penalty, if you don't report a trade, you're slapped with a whopping $200 fine. Wow. Wow.
2: Hmm.
1: So, yeah. why? What incentive do you have not to report it? And can you <laughs> to remind not me? report so it? So, what
2: <laughs> what legislative body proposes what the penalties are, and also who is it? Well, I guess the judicial judicial branch is supposed to well, enforce. I mean,
1: well, yeah. I mean, you know, laws. they pay the fine. I mean, you know, it's oh, not like okay. hey, I was penalized. I didn't report that. I just you know sold out and made or saved myself. You know. Uh, the hundreds of thousands of dollars or a million bucks? I want to see the
2: numbers. And I'll just that. pay my How many couple hundred actually bucks. Get
1: paid. You know, I'm sure they throw off a couple of you know the two hundred dollars because most don't do it because does. It, it, I'm, I'm looking here at, at, at that report and it says dozens of members and their aides have ignored the disclosure re- requirement. Yes. Yeah. Because two hundred bucks was like you know, well, I'm not going to report that trade because it looks fishy. Um, so you know, I, I think that. You know, moving forward, um, that is going to continue to happen. I think members members of Congress will continue to profit from their access to that sensitive information. Um, you know, unless they pass the bills and stuff that, that you to were regulate that themselves. you were referring to. But um, you know, I mean, but when when you think about it, you know, the there are a lot of SROs which are self-regulating organizations mm-hmm. which are supposed to self-regulate. Okay. You know, your your, your own industry. Um, and this is a little different because they're, you know, they're they're it It is self, it is self-regulation, but it's, they're outside business activity. It's not their business, their business, Congress's business is to pass laws right. and things of that nature. Yeah. It's not to not try to make money on the side, Yeah. but it's a huge conflict of interest. You know, I'm still wrestling, I'm still wrestling
2: mm-hmm.
1: with, um, you know, my thoughts on, on how to handle it. I mean, I, I do think that they're. You know, there there needs to be something. the the, the blind trust idea seems to uh, seems to make sense mm-hmm. versus just restricting. Period, but that doesn't eliminate the problem because you have a blind trust and you have a you know representatives that work for you or advisors that work for you. Um, you know you can usually send them a quick uh, you know a quick message. Um, don't and, uh, yeah
2: no you can't you can't write well, it down. No, you can't yeah. write it
1: down. You could just give them a call. I mean, you actually, no probably knows. should write
2: it down a piece of paper burn it no paper trail
1: there you go there you go but anyway you know we will continue to you know monitor um, this legislation that's probably DOA but uh, it's just interesting anyway coming up next we're gonna get into some tax talk and some tax time with D you're listening to the Marcus Warren Show Got a little Phil Collins
2: going.
1: hmm Oh, you, uh, this is a good part, too. Yeah. Here we go. Yes. So, <laughs> this is In the Air Tonight, Phil Collins.
2: Okay.
1: This came out in 1981.
2: Hmm.
1: Number 19 in the U.S., number oh, two uh, in the U.K. Hey. Yeah, not bad. You know, so it did okay here top 20 hit, and you know, I think uh, because it's a, it's a slow song, you know, where where we just heard the drum beat come in, and now we got uh, some kick drums in the back, and it's yes. picked up. It's yes. like three and a half minutes in the song. It
2: takes a while to get to this point. <laughs> yes. Right. yes. You know. And we're but, not a uh, patient group, us no. Americans. No, we're not.
1: So. We want it fast, quick, and in a hurry. Yes. Alrighty. Anyway. Okay. Welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Remember, That you can request your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net and that retirement rescue game plan will help you rescue your retirement from all the risks that threaten your nest egg that also kind of lurks there in the air tonight. Tax rate risk, inflation risk. You got to protect your hard-earned money from the IRS because they are coming in the air tonight to take your nest egg. Unless you get that retirement rescue game plan, go to warrenwealth.net. warrenwealth.net to get that retirement rescue game plan. All right. So <clears throat> um, what are we go Oh, we're getting into the uh, we're just going to jump right into tax time. Let's do it. Let's do it.
2: Cuz I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man.
1: Or woman.
2: There we go. i got to wait for that. I know. All right. So uh, for uh, today's tax, corner it's actually the tax corner. Oh, tax, 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 tax corner. corner ta- yes. Okay. We'll tax work time, on it. We'll work on corner. it. We're, you know, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it together. Um, so um, at uh, one of your workshops had a, an interesting question because we were talking about, you know, how we kind of always talk about tax rates going up in the future. A Gentleman posed a question. Well, don't hire taxes, slow economic growth. And wouldn't that um, maybe disincentivize uh, some people in Congress, the administration, from increasing taxes because they don't want to see our economic growth slow down. Right. And the argument for uh, this statement um, is that if individuals and corporations are paying more in taxes, that means they have less money to spend. Consumer spending slows down, which slows down demand for products and services. Corporations are paying more in taxes, so they have less to give employees in the form of wages. Lower wages means employees have less money to spend. Kind of that same argument, that same ripple effect. Company profits might end up being reduced because people aren't spending money. That may or may not have an impact on the stock market. Right. And so on and so on and so on. And you can find uh, economic studies that do point to a correlation between high taxes and slow economic growth. In 2012, a series of studies showed that high corporate income taxes were most harmful to economic growth.
1: Uh huh. How, you know, I mean, well, go ahead before I object. Okay.
2: Uh, these, uh, these results show that basically income and wealth must first be produced and then consumed, meaning that taxes on labor or capital are particular dis- particularly disruptive to wealth creation. But um, this doesn't necessarily mean that high or low taxes are the cause of some of these economic impacts because um, some tax changes occur as a response to economic growth. Um, and looking at a tax cut at just one point in time, it might not be, you know, that the tax cut causes the slowdown. Nope. It could be that taxes were cut because we were experiencing an economic downturn.
1: You know, I, I I think this, I think there's, you know, there's um you know, you can always, you know, cherry pick yeah. studies, not you specifically. Right. Just people can always cherry pick studies that show that raising taxes on high earners or you know, corporations has a detrimental effect. But what I've seen, there's been a lot of uh, studies and research um, that find that higher taxes um, overall. And I'm, I'm trust me, I am not an advocate for higher taxes. Uh, but I know that it doesn't necessarily um, um, harm the economy. Yes.
2: If we look at, uh, the tax increases in 2013 during the Obama administration, um, the tax increases on individual taxpayers, it, the, the growth between 1993 and 2023 didn't show a slowdown as a result of those tax increases. And on the flip side, just recently, the 2017 tax cuts and jobs act didn't really have an effect on, uh, the effect that it was supposed to have on wages and on business growth because you know taxes were cut drastically for corporations and they were cut a little bit less for individuals but they were still cut meaning that we should we should have seen this big boom in the economy that we didn't really see as a result specifically of those tax cuts so i think at best we have Inconclusive results, right? Um, But I do know a few things, you know. And and there's a lot of economic factors that influence.
1: I was, I was just going to say that because there. I mean, it's not just taxes; it's um, you know job growth, things of that nature. Um, You know, uh, you know. I do want to say, you know, Reaganomics. Um, uh, Ronald Reagan, when he um, ran for president in 1980, um, you know, he talked about. you know, taxes were uh, way too high. And, you know, he was going to reduce taxes uh, by 30% over, uh, uh, you know, his presidency or, or his, his first term, um, you know, and of course, concentrating most of it on the higher in, in income brackets. And, you know, that was coined um, as, you know, trickle down economics, basically, hey, let's cut the taxes for the people in the higher tax bracket. And thus, the um, the spoils of cutting taxes and putting more money in their pocket, will then trickle down to uh, everyone else, and um, you know it didn't necessarily you know uh, do that, um, and you know the uh, you know the economic growth and really <clears throat> there was there was modest economic growth, but you know inflation, mm-hmm. if people remember inflation in the '80s, it was out of uh, control. Um, and they had to, you know, work on that for for a couple of years. And once they got inflation back under control, then the economy started to grow, um, you know, under under Reagan. But,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, taxes, inflation, just like you're saying, there's so many different factors. Right. But go yep.
2: ahead. And I'll leave us with some concluding <laughs> thoughts. So our tax code provides in- incentives for for businesses and investors that will stimulate the economy and stimulate job growth. Yep. But tax rates. Uh, specifically don't always paint an accurate picture. If we look at corporate tax rates, uh, before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and really decades before, there were upwards of 35%, the the corporate tax rate, how much corporations were supposed to pay, and yet still Amazon was paying $0 in taxes. You know, UPS, FedEx, all those S&P 500 companies still weren't paying taxes in spite of those rates. So tax rates specifically don't, Paint an accurate picture, right. and then as we've seen from the two most uh, recent economic recessions, the government's response to an economic recession isn't to cut taxes; it's to ease money. It's to make money mm-hmm. cheaper, right? It's to lower interest rates, yeah, makes money cheaper to borrow for companies, for individuals, and then they enact social programs, aka our stimulus checks, that give people some more spending money. Um, our uh, economy, economy recovered from the pandemic in a year. Our GDP growth, whatever that means, um, it rose six point nine percent to close out last year. <laughs> yep. This was the strongest economic growth since 1984. Bam, and and now it's, is,
1: is is that with the the, the checks that, that that were pushed out with the stimulus? Uh, is that included just, the stimulus? The growth that
2: GDP growth.
1: Yeah, I mean, during that time, was that. 2000? I mean, 2000. Yeah. Yes, that was last year, 2021. Yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, the checks and all that. Um, so, it's a combination mm-hmm. of things. I combination. mean, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. like you said. I mean, it takes me back to, um, when was it? Clinton. When Clinton was in office, um, uh, you know, they uh, did a bunch of um, tax relief and things of that nature. Um, I want to say tax relief. They did a bunch of stuff. One is they took capital gains rates from 28 to 20%. Uh, but they also instituted a child five hundred dollar child tax credit, mm-hmm. um, and that's when the uh, the Roth um, was mm-hmm. was introduced, mm-hmm. um, and these educational IRAs were were, were introduced. Um, uh, the estate tax <coughs> went up from mm-hmm. like five exactly. or six hundred thousand mm-hmm. to a million bucks, and then um, uh, the the home when you sold your home, uh, you get that. Couples got that $500,000 exclusion. Um, exclusion. Mm-hmm. And so it was a combination of a lot of those things. So there was uh, money pumped in to the economy in the form of child tax credits, but they did bring some rates down. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, under Clinton, it was. Yeah. But then he also had the benefit of the tech boom, That's right. which he benefited from, too. And so there was. Strong economic growth there also mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily relate to, to the tax policy, but it's just like you said, it's a little more nuanced than just higher tax higher taxes equal less growth, or you know high or um, lower taxes equal more. equals mm-hmm. more growth because mm-hmm. that's not the case.
2: Yeah. so we're that easy.
1: No, and 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 you know especially now as we're entering and getting closer to uh, the current. Tax cuts uh, expiring, which uh, if you don't know, uh, the current uh, low tax rate that low tax rate environment that we're in right now, it expires at the end of 2025. So going into 2026, um, these current tax cuts are going to revert back what they were in 2017, which means uh, everyone is going to be paying higher taxes. Um, And, you know, we talk about retirement and most people have their money in those retirement plans. And those are, you know, the that that ticking tax time bomb is your IRA, your 401k, your company retirement plan, because that money hasn't been taxed yet. And, you know, if you would have had retired in the last three or four years and been taking money out, uh, you probably found found yourself in in you know, a a lower tax bracket um, just simply because of the tax cuts and jobs act. But all that's going to change. And so even though you're, even though you're, you may be, you may have this distribution strategy, we're pulling money out, and taxes are relatively, relatively low right now. Here in about uh, four or so years, they're going to jump up uh, pretty significantly. And how are you prepared for that? And so you know, that's the question that you start that you need to start asking yourself, how are you going to deal with higher tax rates in the future uh, when they jump up to 2017 rates. And of course, because of the debts, deficits, um, things of that nature, we think there's probably going to go higher. And that my friend is the question um, because we've been uh, uh, doing pretty well in the stock market lately. And, you know, we've turned a corner as far as um, you know, economic growth actually this year or last year, 2021, um, you know, there was a you know, GDP growth was was uh, higher than it's been in a, in a long time. Um, and we'll have to see how things go moving forward. But uh, thank you, D, for that. Uh, tax the tax man. Yeah, the tax man. or woman, all right. Coming up next, we're going to get into some news you can use and news you can't use. You're listening to the Marcus Warren Show. Okay That's uh, Phil Collins here again Although this is really Philip Bailey But it's with Phil Collins I love this song This is Easy Lover by the way Okay Came out in 1984 Good Number 2 in the US Number 1 in the UK It's a big hit I should love this song Now, we've been uh, kind of Phil Collins heavy the last few segments. Mm -hmm. Why is that? It's
2: his birthday. It's
1: his birthday today. Phil Collins, He's a whopping, I don't know how old. 71. 71. Oh, he's getting close to RMD age. Required minimum distributions anyway. All right. Welcome back to the show, The Marcus Warren Show. Remember that you can get your retirement rescue game plan. All you have to do is go to warrenwealth.net, that's warrenwealth.net, and you will receive a physical packet of information that will help rescue your retirement from all the risk that threatens your nest egg. You will get a copy of my two books, a few different financial reports, and access to my webinar entitled, Taxes in Retirement. And you can get that again by going to warrenwealth.net, and it will be delivered free of charge to your front door. Now, um, uh, we were t- we've been talking about, um, you know, emotions and market volatility and how people always make the wrong decision at the wrong time all the time. And uh, the one thing I'm not going to do is make the wrong decision and not give you what you want, which is the news you can use.
2: Well, the Federal Reserve is about to end America's short era of uh, easy money. Um, and it's oh,
1: easy prom- lover, easy e- money. Oh, hey, hey, there you, there go. you
2: go. Look at that. You always tie everything <laughs> together so well. Um, this is prompting the worst market sell-off since the early days of the pandemic. I'm not trying to be too doom and gloomy like all the other MSMs out there, the mainstream media's out there. Uh, but uh, you mentioned this earlier, despite the fact that the indexes or indices ended up a little bit higher this week, most of them are down for the month. Uh, Between 6 and 15 percent, and some of the uh, favorite stocks, some of the pandemic stocks that we saw increase last year, like Moderna, Peloton, Netflix fallen about two to three times as much, mm-hmm. of course the market volatility index has almost doubled this year, driving a lot of those swings like we just said Fed is expected to rise interest rates for the first time since twenty eighteen and they said they might even have to increase the frequency from which they initially thought they would have to r- ra- uh, rise raise the rates raise the rates um
1: yeah yes. and you know when you know when they you know start to go up it's it's a rising interest rate environment, it is good for uh, savers because eventually you'll be able to put your money in, in the bank and the CD and the savings account and get uh, hopefully a decent rate of return. Uh, for consumers, uh, it's uh, a little bit different because, you know, with the interest that you're paying on mortgages, on credit cards and all of that stuff, will you can probably see those continue to, um, to move up. And of course, when there's rising interest rate, we're in a rising interest rate environment, the market panics and they get very nervous as we are seeing and we've seen this month.
2: Yes. And it's interesting, you know, of course, we're seeing the the shares, the tech stocks like the Apple, Amazon's, the Netflix, uh, some of the meme meme stocks, uh, GameStop, AMC from last year, kind of all tumbling right now. But the interesting thing to me is that cryptocurrencies are also experiencing major sell-offs and I thought cryptocurrencies were supposed to be, the your like alternative, your your gold, the hedge against no. inflation. Why is it that every time the market drops, crypto usually is down a lot more?
1: Because crypto is funny money. I, I've, I've said it plenty of times. Crypto was funny money. No one, no one knows what it is. No one knows. No, no one understands it. It's, it. it's 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 as simple as this. It's crypto is its valuations are based solely on feelings, and stories.
2: Yeah. It has
1: no fundamental values like a Netflix or a or a Procter & Gamble, uh, a Walmart where you can look at numbers, you can look at sales, you can look at those things, and there is an intrinsic value to it. Crypto, the funny money, uh, the Bitcoin, all of that, it's just based on, you know, what, you know, some, you know, blockchain guy or gal is out there doing and you know this decentralization uh you know bubble you know that we've been in um you know it, it's it's just so far it's, it's come crashing down and it'll weed out a lot of people because uh you know bitcoin's down 50 percent actually about 60 percent from its high recently um you know ethereum's down you know around the same and all the other um, funny 1, money
2: others all uh, the
1: other funny money stuff a coin with a dog on it and, and Shiba Inu and all that other stuff uh, you know Solana all, all that all that stuff that no one understands people just got hyped up on the craze they jumped in uh, the market's correct crypto corrects no one knows what it does a lot of people will jump out and then you know here about a year you know six months whatever it'll be back up and it'll be back in the news about how you know much it's, it, it's it's gone up and there you go and I said hey you know I don't want to pat myself on the back. However, what did I say about um, Bitcoin? I said it probably will eventually, I could see it going to 100,000. And at the time it was like at 60. Mm -hmm. I said, but I see it being 20 before it even gets or sniffs 100,000. And I write that down that's what we're looking at. It used to be 68, 70,000. Now it's peeled back about half, you know, 60% of that. And we'll see what happens moving forward. But I know this, the average individual investor cannot take that and they shouldn't take it because it's too volatile. Like I said, if you're of a certain age, just, just know what you're getting into and beware. Spent a lot of time on that. What else you got?
2: Okay. Dep- <laughs> uh, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyomo. Sorry if I mispronounced that. I'm sure he's listening and cares. Yeah, he, um, he says that uh, an understaffed and overworked IRS is bracing for another frustrating tax season. Of course, federal funding for the IRS has declined by about 20% in the last decade. So budget issues, staffing shortages, and unreliable technology infrastructure. That is our government. They've all made the agency's job a little bit, bit more difficult, especially at it, as it has its workload has increased. Of course, it had to distribute 150 million stimulus checks and over 36 million child tax credit payments throughout the year last year. The IRS received 119 million calls last year. It typically receives 35 million. Yeah. So the number of calls that came into the IRS more than doubled. Um, And so why am I bringing all this up? Well, what are some steps you can take to make filing season Less frustrating.
1: Um, yeah, tell me.
2: File electronically <laughs> oh. if you're getting a refund. Opt for direct deposit. You know, so you'd be surprised by how many people still want to file on paper. Don't yes. send your return in um, on paper.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Bob Hope. Oh, but well, he, he's not alive anymore. Oh. Um, yeah, somebody who's in their mid yeah. to late 90s maybe yes. want to file by paper. Don't file do by it. paper anymore.
2: Don't do it. If you are getting a refund. Get it via direct deposit if you owe taxes. Uh, try to make the payment electronically. And my, I think my biggest tip, my yeah. biggest tax tip, don't rush to get your taxes done before you have all your forms collected. Right. Sometimes, especially those, I've seen those Schedule Bs with stock transactions um, get c- issued and then corrected in mid-March.
1: Yeah, I mean... So just- just yeah, Take pump the brakes. Number one, the IRS Be is patient. so behind. They're they're still processing six million returns from last tax season. Yes, and that is generally it's five million more than what they're normally behind. Um, there's only think about this. I saw this the other day. Fifteen thousand IRS employees have to process or handle two hundred and forty. Million calls, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: La- well, million, hundreds of millions, Hundred. of car- mm-hmm. hundreds of millions, of cars. Yeah. yeah. From from last year, um, and all they're doing, all they've done recently, was cut that budget. And so, good luck if you have to call, if you have any issues, nice. because between government shutdowns and COVID and all that stuff and uh, funding issues, the IRS is. It's going to be even more inefficient than what they were. Right. And I'll that just... is saying a lot because mm-hmm. they were highly inefficient when they were fully staffed. Now, even more so. Anyway, um, all right. Thank you, D, for that news you can use. And we know that if we left y'all with that, y'all would probably be satiated and satisfied. But we can't just do that because we have to give you what you need, what you yearn for, which is the news you can't. Use.
2: Well, Spotify has removed Neil Young's music after the singer wrote an open letter to his manager and his label asking them to remove his music from Spotify, saying it's spreading, spreading fake information about COVID 19 vaccines through the Joe Rogan experience. He said they can have Rogan. Or young, not both. Oh, they and said.
1: Sorry, we're taking our young cash cow, aka Joe Rogan, and the top shoot
2: Pod- podcast podcast mm-hmm.
1: show. Yes, podcast. It, it. I mean, the numbers that it gets. It does better than things on MSNBC, Fox. I mean. It's uh, yeah, Joe Rogan is a uh, is, is a force to be reckoned with. That's
2: right. So, At, like you said, this this is uh, for Spotify. This is a test uh, of their big bet on Mr. Rogan. Of course, they struck a deal with him. We know in twenty twenty worth two uh, or worth a hundred million dollars to bring the show exclusively to their service. But uh, I guess Neil Young didn't like some of the stuff. That Joe Rogan show or his guests were saying, so he said, "Hey, I don't want to be associated with Spotify. Give him, give him an ultimatum. Thought that it might work, but um,
1: didn't the stock drop big time too? From what I understand, the stock like dropped. Yeah, they lost Mm -hmm. like four billion dollars in market cap, like after all that. And now, the 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 key is if this starts a this is a snowball effect, meaning that. It's Neil Young and then
2: Joni Mitchell was an, was the second one who uh, oh. said the same thing. Yeah, she said, "Take my music off of, of Spotify too." I stand with uh, Neil Young.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, well, you know, Hey. I mean, see, called it. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably not. I mean, Joe Rogan's a force to be reckoned it's, with as far as his uh, his yeah. numbers there on on Spotify. And um, you know, I think they already yeah, they already paid him. What they paid him like two hundred million yeah. dollars? Yeah, mm-hmm. one hundred or I two hundred. Oh, uh, it might have been. Oh, it said out. more than a hundred million. So uh, I yeah. guess it could have been $2, A Couple hundred million. Maybe, maybe maybe that was uh, the other guy, Bill Simmons. who got mm. two fifty for going to spots. But anyway, um, wow. Anything else? We got time for one quick one. If Let's you
2: have- do it. A lucky Kentucky woman. Lucky Kentucky woman. Hey, uh, she won a two hundred thousand dollar jackpot on the same day that she retired. The Floyd County woman uh, told Kentucky Lottery officials that she bought her ten dollar scratch off, which turned into two hundred thousand dollars. That's a nice return on yes, investment. Yes, it is. Um, on the same. Same day that that she retired after thirty-six years as a nurse.
1: Nice. Yes. Look at that. That's uh uh some good some good luck. There you go. I mean, you know, she it was a good return on investment. I wonder how much she uh
2: 142 after taxes.
1: 142 after taxes. Yes, so there you go. Gotta pay Uncle Sam. We talk about it all the time. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. And she kept a good pretty penny. Good job. Thank you, D, for that uh, news you can't use. And we all know what that music means. It means we've come to the end of the show. I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a great week and take it easy
0: on this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Marcus Warren Show. For more information or to request your retirement toolkit, contact Marcus at 502-339-8255 or visit his website at talktomarcus.com. Warren Wealth Management and Tax Planning and WGTK are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with a professional specializing in the fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested.